This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Flagship Podcast. I am always joined by Taylor Estes, Managing Editor of horns247.com where hopefully you're already a member but if you're not just jump in and get the annual so that you have access to the vip premium content on all the team sites in the 24 7 sports network so you're always up to speed on the latest we have the best team coverage recruiting coverage across the board uh in the in the team site industry and of course we'll be joined a little bit later by Bobby Burton, who helped who helped create the team site industry with Shannon Terry. Started Rivals.com, sold it to Yahoo. Started 247Sports.com, sold it to CBS. So we're fortunate to have the Godfather right here on the Texas site. Uh, Taylor, Happy New Year! Happy we, New Year, Chip. Our last podcast was actually right before the Alamo Bowl. Yep. The day before, uh, we got to actually do that one face to face. This one we're doing abroad, y'all. Sorry to say that, but <laughs> that's right. It's kind of weird seeing each other, right? Doing that, right? That <laughs> we're back to our remote locations, but we got a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about, of course. The bowl game, the surprise, well, to me, a surprise that Texas just smashed Utah, and what an incredible defensive performance. Um, and Deshaun Jameson with his 71-yard punt return, which was the single biggest offensive play of the first half. And and then Joseph Osai going off. We'll talk to Tim Crowder a little bit later in the podcast. Tim Crowder, who holds the the single game record for tackles for loss. And it almost was uh, taken over by Joseph Osai in the Alamo Bowl. So... I mean, Joseph Osai, six tackles for loss in that game. Unbelievable performance. Yeah, and and wow, a, yeah. a stand-up defensive end. Let's let's keep him near the line of scrimmage and let him rush the passer. Yeah. How, how often have we been saying that? I know. I mean, I think that the lack of bodies that they've had at, at linebacker all season definitely did not help Osai getting closer to the line. But my goodness, I think everybody saw the monster inside of Joseph Osai against Utah. And yeah, I mean that you know that defensive performance was solid at, on all phases of it. I mean, there what was the final? I don't have the stat in front of me. I think what was the final total yards? Like it was less than 300 total yards given up. I think it was like 250 something. I mean, that's that's unheard of from Big 12 defenses. Let's just be honest about that. So I think that you know, and, and also credit to the offense. The offense was rolling. I mean, that was you know statistically speaking, one of the top defenses in the country. And Sam Allinger just had his way with Utah throughout the game. I mean, it was an incredible performance, probably at all phases of the game. And as you wrote, Chip, after the game, the most complete performance probably all season for Texas. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the offense was unstoppable uh, in the second half. They, they, they got whatever they wanted. So impressive performance, great coaching job by Craig Niver, who I, I listen, I owe Craig Niver uh, an apology, uh, an attaboy, because I said going in, I said I'm picking Utah because their defensive coordinator was a Broyles Award finalist, and and Texas just fired theirs. Well, little did I know. Uh, the, the tornado from Taylor, Craig <laughs> Niver, who's all hopped up on Dr. Pepper and Red Bull, would have such a great game plan and kudos to him and to the rest of the, the defensive coaches for, for putting that game plan together because they stole the show. There's no, no question about that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was great stuff. And so, Breaking news, breaking news today, Matt Rule is leaving Baylor to go become the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. I thought he would end up with the New York Giants, but the Panthers must have offered him some uh, personnel control to keep him from even getting on the plane to go talk to the Giants where he's from. So kudos, uh, Matt Rule would have been my choice if I was hiring, if I was Jerry Jones, I would have hired Matt Rule to be the the coach of the Cowboys. I think he's, I think he's that good, and and so I think the Panthers made a great hire. But that certainly changes things in the Big 12 when you consider that Baylor was in the Big 12 championship game, had a one-loss regular season, uh, ended up losing to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Charlie Brewer was knocked out of that game. I'm told it was a neck injury, not a concussion. So Charlie Brewer, a neck injury, not a concussion. We'll see. I mean, he's obviously had head injuries, and, and we'll see what's in store for his his immediate future. But he's going to have a new head coach, Taylor. And um, and so, you know, however you view that, that is it a door opening for Texas? Baylor loses a lot of senior firepower. Um, you know, and and so does that move Texas up the pecking order with what Texas has returning next season? I think so. I mean, I think that you know, one thing you you touched on already, Baylor's you know, their entire team for the most part were upper upperclassmen this year, and they're losing a ton of seniors. I mean, it was going to, in my opinion, probably be a bit of a rebuilding year in 2020 for Baylor um, before Matt Rule uh, took the job for the Carolina Panthers. But, you know, one thing that's so interesting to me, Chip, I do think that it helps Texas by, you know, absolutely. I mean, it kind of opens the door for them to creep in. And, but I think that it could have been open regardless, um, you know, before Matt Rule even left. But one thing that's really interesting to me is if you look at the last probably 12 to 13 months in the big 12, half of the league's coaches have changed half. Yeah. I mean, you consider four last year. Mm-hmm. Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, all all changed last year. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, and now Matt Rule at Baylor. I mean, that's that's uh, pretty incredible. And hey, look, two of the former Big Twelve coaches are now NFL coaches. That's what most coaches want to be when they enter this business. I mean, I think if you talk to any college coach. I think they'll, you know, nine times out of ten, you'll get everybody saying that they want to go to the NFL because they don't have to recruit. You know, they're not gone for nine months out of the year. So, 
you know, I think it just shows the even though one of the coaches was fired from the Big 12 in Cliff Kingsbury, but it still, I mean, it shows the amount of talent that, te- that the Big 12 has had at its disposal over the last uh, several years. And speaking of coaching changes, Chip, you know, this may not be at the top of the food chain at Texas, but Texas is going to have some coaching changes heading its way after Tom Herman fired Todd Orlando, reassigned Tim Beck. Now Tim Beck is moving on to NC State as the offensive coordinator there. Um, Texas has hired Chris Ash as defense coordinator, Mike Yersich, Ohio State's pass game coordinator, as offensive coordinator. But now you were looking at the rest of the staff. You know, there's a lot of names that we've been hearing as possible replacements for certain assistant coaches, but what's the latest that you've been hearing? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, a lot of, you know, Derek Wareheim moving on to, to New Mexico as offensive coordinator, good for him. And uh, we reported over the weekend that Herb Hand and Stan Drayton are going to be staying on on that staff with with Mike Yersich as the offensive coordinator. So that means that Texas is looking for uh, a receivers coach because Tom Herman told us at the Alamo Bowl that he plans he plans he said don't put me in a corner here, but he plans to have five offensive assistants instead of six, like he's had the past three, well, past two years, when he when they added the 10th assistant, he had two receivers coaches. So going forward, it looks like it'll be one receivers coach, and then five assistants on defense would indicate, and he said this, Tom Herman said this, a defensive tackles coach, a defensive ends coach, a linebackers coach, and then corners and safeties coach. And Chris Ash has coached safeties. And when he was the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, he coached safeties. Of course, that's where Craig Niver, that's the position Craig Niver coaches um, or has coached at Texas the past three seasons. So um, Texas looking. And I know that Chris Ash was interested in uh, Elijah Robinson, the defensive line coach at Texas A&M. It sounds like Elijah Robinson uh, is going to stay at A&M. There's some speculation that maybe he would go with Matt Rule wherever Matt Rule ended up. And now we know Matt Rule's going to the Carolina Panthers. So it'll be interesting to see if he would go after Elijah Robinson, who coached the defensive line for Matt Rule at Temple before uh, going um, with Matt Rule to Baylor and then being hired by Jimbo Fisher at A&M for the past two seasons. So uh, Elijah Robinson, it appears, is off the board for for Chris Ash as a, as a defensive line coach, and and we're waiting to see if you know who of the defensive assistants would remain. You know, if Oscar Giles would he then move to defensive ends coach? If if Chris Ash brought in. Uh, someone else as the D-line coach. That's actually how A&M currently has their staff set up. Elijah Robinson is the D-line coach, and Terry Price is the defensive ends coach. Right. And so, um, you know, I mentioned that Rob Smith is a former – he actually succeeded Ash as the defensive coordinator at Arkansas when um, when Ash – was the defensive coordinator at Arkansas and then went to Ohio State. And and Rob Smith, 
then was the defensive coordinator for P.J. Fleck at Minnesota uh, for a couple seasons and then was let go. And this past year, he was an analyst at A&M. But Rob Smith is a guy who's got, obviously, defensive coordinator experience. And, um, you know, he's someone that I think Ash is looking at at the, at the linebackers coaching position. And then we're waiting to see, because as you've reported at horns247.com, you know, guys like Jason Washington, Niver, Giles, they're all interviewing with Chris Ash this week. Yes. Yeah. So um, I reported that this morning. They um, will be interviewing with him today. It's Tuesday that we're recording this. So interviews are supposed to start happening today and they will go over the next couple of days. But they're essentially re-interviewing for their jobs. And as you mentioned, you know, Coach Niver being the safeties coach and that's kind of um, Chris Ash's bread and butter, I think, unless he were to move Coach Niver out you know, to a different position. I'm not sure if that would even be on the table or not, but I think that's something to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we'll start getting a lot more concrete news coming out of the next few days after these, um, after these coaching, you know, re-interviews, I guess you could call them go down. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, look, they've made a good case for themselves. The, the remaining coaches, the holdover coaches who of course helped Tom Herman, get that recruiting class signed and then put on a great performance in the Alamo Bowl. Um, you know, Jason Washington, Oscar Giles, even Craig Niver, uh, if, if Ash was to consider him at, at a linebackers coach position or something like that. But, um, and, and look, it's, it's probably doubtful that Niver would be considered for that. And right. we're hearing that, you know, Todd Orlando might, land somewhere and it's possible if Orlando lands somewhere that the Niver might go with them. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, they've, they've had a good relationship, um, you know, coached together and Craig Niver was his co-defensive coordinator. I think that Craig Niver, you know, had a lot of input and I think based off of seeing the Alamo bowl performance, he knew what he was doing. You know, he knew, he knows how to help call a defense. And so I think, that was definitely, I think, something to watch. You know, if, if Craig Niver does move on, if he doesn't get, you know, a, a key, you know, a defensive coordinator title specifically, I would not be surprised if he uh, goes wherever Todd Orlando lands, which I'm hearing could come down soon, but I'm not. I've been sworn to secrecy on the location, but tune in for that later. <laughs> well, the only thing I've heard is West. I think one of my sources said they've heard West. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, and I then as far as good, that's, that's a good hint. Is that a good hint? I think so. Okay. Now a name that people are interested in now, especially with Matt rule going to the Carolina Panthers is Frank Ocam, the former Texas defensive tackle who has been the D line coach for Matt rule the last two years. Um, you know, would Frank Ocam, become a candidate for Chris Ash, and I, I, I think he certainly is a candidate. We'll see how, uh, you know, how that – Frank Ocam has coached a 3-4, three, a, three, a three-man line. Chris Ash is a four-primary 4-3 four, over guy, He's, but we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll get into the eyes of Texas. Let's just put it that way because I'm working this nonstop, and I'll have – 
much more detail in the eyes of Texas. Our our ultimate insider notes package every week runs Thursday mornings at horns247.com. So just uh, now if you're not a member, you got to become a member because <laughs> that's the VIP stuff. So just jump in, get that annual, and uh, and get into to horns247.com. Yeah, and, you know, Chip, let's, let's break into this a little bit more. Let's bring in Bobby Burton to weigh in both on – you know, the bowl game perspective, uh, coaching changes in the Big 12 and all of that. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. All right. The godfather, Bobby Burton, is in the house here on the flagship podcast. And, Bobby, Happy New Year. Last happy time New we Year spoke to you. Was uh, before Texas throttled Utah in the Alamo Bowl. How about that? 38 to 10. I didn't see it coming. How about you? I didn't see it coming either. I mean, I clearly thought that uh, Utah was going to have the horses and Texas was going to have problems on defense because, frankly, uh, it was Craig Navar's first time uh, with the defense as a play caller. But uh, I thought the, the Longhorns acquitted themselves well. Uh, the defense played with a lot of passion, really swarmed the ball. I think they they really probably had a couple of issues throughout the entire game and Utah let him off the hook on one big one early in the, the game where the swing pass uh, that Texas didn't cover, the guy dropped it on third down. And, and from that point on, Texas truly dominated that game. And uh, it was uh, it was impressive, I, I uh, have to say. And Devin DuVernay came up with yet another big game in a big situation. Um, so hats off to him and the other seniors, Colin Johnson included, that uh, ended up their career with a, a win. Yeah, I said, and this shows you how smart I am, I said I was picking Utah because they have a defensive coordinator who was a finalist for the Broyles Award, and Texas just fired theirs. <laughs> yeah. And and Craig Niver ended up being the the star of the show. So, I mean. Really happy for him. I, I think that. Anytime guys look like Craig Niver, who has definitely put in his time um, as an assistant coach, not just at Texas, but elsewhere, um, and never really called plays before, anytime he gets that opportunity, um, you're happy, and, and he succeeds, you're happy for a guy like that. Because he's not, I mean, that's a big step for a coach to go from an assistant, or go from a position coach to someone that's actually in charge of, uh, of a defense or an offense in that, in another case. But, uh, uh, so you're happy for them and, you know, we'll find out whether or not, uh, he stays around at Texas. It, it looks unlikely since Chris Ash essentially, yeah, coaches the same position as Nivar does. But, um, that being said, he had the guys ready to play and changed up some things a little bit and played a little bit more four man front and certainly utilized Joe Asaya in a different manner. Yeah. And, and I want to bring you back to Joseph Osai here in a second, but uh, Craig Niver was also the one who fought for Tom Herman uh, to get the offensive coordinator position with David Bailiff at Texas State when Herman was left without a job at Sam Houston State because the head coach retired and Herman was on the verge of going to coach high school football. And Craig Niver... 
uh, you know, kept going to Bailiff and saying, I got your guy, I got your guy. And Bailiff, interestingly enough, was trying to talk to Major Applewhite for that position. And he ends up hiring Tom Herman, and the rest is history. So Craig Niver, if that was his last game with Tom Herman, helped him out, gave him another gift um, on his way out the door. So, um, but let's get back to the defense and unbelievable. I mean, Joseph Osai, nine tackles, six tackles for loss and three sacks. Uh, we're, we're going to be talking to Tim Crowder here in a minute and Tim Crowder holds the single game record for tackles for loss and Joseph Osai got right up on him, uh, in, in that game. So, your your thoughts? I mean, Joseph Osai. We've been talking about it for, gosh, forever. Play him. He's your best pass rusher. He's your best pass rusher. Play him close to the line, and and they did. Now, how much of that was Utah? Not and, hey, but but not just close to the line. Don't give him that many responsibilities and coverage. Right. I mean, you know, if the back if the back goes out of the backfield on in, in motions out, don't have him trailing. I mean, it's not just where you position him. It's the responsibilities you give him. And he did drop in, in coverage some, but it typically wasn't in man coverage. It was typically in zone. And I thought that the another thing that the Longhorns did sneakily well is that I think they had some delayed blitzes from the linebackers that once they saw they, they were free of coverage responsibilities, one of them took off. And um, Achille Adioye or Deliadeoye, however you want to say his his first name. Deli. Yeah, I, I think he he had some real plays in the game because he was more of a blitzer and a force the issue. But Osai overall was a man among boys and played like it. Um, you know, ever since we saw him last year against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, this is kind of what we expected, right? We expected this sophomore breakout campaign from what looked like a <laughs> big time player. And we saw it in piece bits and pieces, but he was so busy trying to cover people this year. We never saw it enough to get a feel that the guy could be dominant. Right. He, uh, other than Georgia last year th- in that game uh, against Utah, he was dominant. He wasn't good. He was dominant. Best player on the field on either team and you know i i just think that that the more you can use joe osai and put him in position to win the more off schedule plays you're going to get and in a time when football is very execution oriented like whoever executes better wins right Anytime you get a guy that can make off-schedule plays against and to beat that execution level, those are the guys that, that win and lose games for you. And Joe Osai is one of those guys. So you have to put him in position uh, to, to allow him to do his thing, to, to make those game-changing plays next year. If Chris Ash is able to do that, I, I really see the Texas defense being the best it's been in a long time. Yeah. I mean – I remember when Will, Will Muschamp arrived as defensive coordinator in 08, and he immediately moved Sergio Kendall up on the line. 
And I said, how, how long did it take you to move Kindle up to the line? He said, one snap. And you get that feeling with Osai that Chris Ash was watching that Utah game and, and won't even need to see a snap in practice because he already knows. I can say, why would he? I mean, right. he- I mean, from a measurable standpoint, and this is what I don't get. I, I, I Chris, love Chris Ash is probably Orlando. saying, "Huh? Why am I? Why exactly am I? Why is this job open again?" Right. I mean, <laughs> it's gift wrapped. I mean, gosh, Bobby. I like I said, Todd Orlando, great guy. Enjoyed talking to him for three years. But oh my gosh, I mean, and I've been cr- screaming about this, and and so Osai coming out of high school. I mean, the, me- the measurables, he's got the long arms, he's quick, he's got a motor. I mean, Taquan Graham said after the game, I don't think that guy ever gets tired, and he's relentless. This is a guy who, I'm not breaking any news here, he's going to have a decision to make after oh, yeah. next season if he's yeah. used correctly. I mean, he. this is a guy who should have 10 sacks, no question. Or next more. Year. Yeah, more. Yeah, it. They're gonna. People are gonna end up having to scheme against him um, if if he's really let able to let go. I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. And the reason why I, I say that is because I, I do think that the personnel around him, even if they do scheme against him, the person around around him is more than good enough to win some one-on-one matchups. Um, whether it's Kendrick Coburn, Moro, Jomo, I felt looked good in the the uh, Alamo Bowl as well. Uh, take Juan Graham. You mentioned him. When you start lining him up outside a little bit more, you saw him more in the pass rushing lanes. Uh, Tivondre Sweat certainly is a, a real factor. Um, and so, and, and Marquez Bemidge absolutely would be a factor in a pass rush situation. So, what I, I guess what I'm getting at there is that there are pieces in place that if they do try to double Osai too much, the other guys are more than good enough to make them pay for it. So they're not going to just be able to focus solely on Osai next year and keep him out of the backfield. It's just not, it's not going to happen. They'll, I'm sure they'll chip him a lot with a back and do that sort of stuff. But um, ultimately uh, there's, there should be some uh, other guys that help him uh, manage the load, so to speak. And I, and what's more next year is I think the defensive secondary should be significantly better. I mean, first of all, they, they ostensibly should be health, healthier, but um, they've got another – every single player back there except for Brandon Jones has another year of, uh, of experience, and they're not lacking in talent uh, either. I mean, I, I think that you look at – Guys like Deshaun Jameson and Anthony Cook getting that experience. Jalen Green, when he was healthy, played, I thought, was the, the Horns' best corner. Um, I know you love Chris Brown, but I'm a big fan of, of both B.J. Foster and um, Caden Stearns from, from those perspectives. And you just look at all that. Chris Adamora got playing time, significant playing time in the, the uh, bowl game. And uh, Kenyatta Watson's back there. I mean, they've got some guys. Um and Josh in, Thompson uh, comes back. Yeah, and Josh Thompson is a, is a guy that, look, I mean, you talk about guys that might be able to spin down the linebacker. Uh, and my immediate thought is a guy like Demar Irvin Overshone, but Josh Thompson is what, he's not that small. Um, and he might be a guy that 
now that he's in a fifth year too, um, he might be in a situation where he understands enough chip that he can kind of play that Rover role that maybe BJ Foster might play or Overshone might play too. So I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm interested. They have some pieces of the puzzle. They really do on defense. I want to take you back to linebacker because one of the interesting stories in the first half was was Court Jaquis, the the walk on. Is and it Jaquis or Jackwis or Jax? Jaquis. Oh man, I was hoping it was like Bubba Jax. Well, let me double check that. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it here. Yeah, Jay Jaquis. So I looked at my pronunciation key in okay. my. My okay, gotcha, I got gotcha. you. But gotcha. that guy was coming downhill, taking on blocks, shedding blocks, doing stuff that middle linebackers do. Um, sophomore walk on from San Antonio got to start that game. And this is a guy who, who can help. Yes. I, I, it, it, well, here's why I think he got the start. Um, just full on. I think they knew that they were going to get a heavy load of Zach Moss out of the out of the gate, and they wanted the best run stopper there. And he may very well be the guy that will plug the hole better than anybody, but may give up more in pass coverage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so one, and he didn't see much time at all in the second half once Utah got behind and they started thinking, okay, they're going to pass more. You know what I mean? Right. And and so I think. Uh, what you saw there was a calculated decision by Texas to to really um, try to play the run early so that Utah didn't get the idea that they could really um, run over Texas. And and he had a good game. I mean, I think he finished with five tackles. All three linebackers, I think, finished with five or six tackles each um, and uh, played well. I think that what was interesting to me um, – from that standpoint is I thought that the linebacker coach, um, the interim linebacker coach, Jeremiah George, uh, did a really nice job rotating those guys and keeping it a a fresh look. Um, I was, uh, I was impressed with that. And so, uh, George played at Iowa state, um, and was the interim guy. I don't know that he'll get an opportunity to be the full-time guy at Texas, but, uh, I, I I think that was a pretty impressive job by him. And, to, to play a guy that had not played at all really in the position all year and have him ready for the bowl game. Uh, to me, that's a, that's a nice coaching job. All right. We've got a lot to, uh, to, to get into. We'll, we'll touch on Matt rule leaving Baylor for the NFL in a second, but linebacker we were talking a little bit before um, is a spot where you could see Texas go into the portal looking mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. And- I think, I think two spots. I think two spots. I think linebacker and offensive line, Chip. I think um, both of those places, uh, they could take a fifth year and probably find a spot for them. And I, I, th- I, I agree with you on linebacker. It's going to be interesting to see what, how the development on the offensive line has gone because they're going to move Kerstetter to center. Mm-hmm. And – Probably going to have Junior Angelau move over to the left side next to Cosme. And then you're going to replace the right side of your line. And do you, is Denzel Okafor still here? You know, does he feel like 
he's going to get the shot that he he wants because there are guys they really like. I mean, they really like uh, Christian Jones. Um, he's he's coming on. Um, he did I, not look ready when I saw him against Tech. Yeah, and so I, I just I'll be honest, he did not look ready. Um, the question I have is, is I think Okafor's a guard. So if you move Okafor to right guard, then what does right tackle look like? And is that uh, Tyler Johnson, Christian Jones? Who is that over there? Um, well, the guy that they really like and they're trying to get ready is Willie Tyler, the right. Juco transfer, who is a monster. I mean, he's six seven, three forty. Physically, he's he's. You know, he's everything you want. They technically they've got to get him right. And they had him working a lot at right guard in the bowl practices because I think they want him to challenge. Obviously, Tope Amade is there. Um, but I think they feel like Willie Tyler's a guy who, who could really come on. He's got three years of eligibility left. And, and so. As my dad, six, seven, three, forty. So Chip, as my dad would say, what in the hell do they feed these guys? Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean who's his dad, Paul Bunyan? Hey, David McWilliams was a two-way starter at 200 pounds on the, hey. on the line. For a national championship team. <laughs> Unbelievable. 340 pounds. Jeez. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but. I hear you, and I, I see what you're saying, and then keep Oak Fort right tackle. That's certainly possible. I think um, Denzel is ready. Um, I don't think he's perfect. Um, but uh, I I don't see the offensive line being an issue for Texas. I thought it was an issue because I thought both guards this year had issues in pass protection. Um, this bottom line, they they didn't have a problem really with the run blocking I thought they actually were improved run blocking, but pass protection. The two guards, even though they lost uh, or said goodbye to to uh, Pat Vahe, who had so much problem in pass protection, Derek Kerstetter was still on the inside last year, and and they didn't have that problem. And I I just feel like I, I feel like that was probably the biggest issue with the offensive line this year. All right, so Matt Rule is moving on. To the NFL, the Carolina Panthers must have offered him control. Uh, they don't have a GM right now, so I they must have offered him something incredible because they they got him to take the job before he got on the plane to to go talk to the New York Giants, where he's from. But Matt Rule leaving the Big 12, Mac Rhodes, the athletic director at Baylor, who hired Tom Herman when he was the athletic director at Houston. So his last two hires as an athletic director, have been Tom Herman and Matt Rule. Um, but Matt Rule leaving the Big 12. Did he hire Rule or was Rule already there when he got No, there? he hired Rule. Okay. So, Mac Rhodes, he's on a good run here lately. Uh, but how does this impact the race in the Big 12 without Matt Rule there? Just open a door, Herman. So I, I I don't know what how to. I want to see what you. I want to get your thought on this too. But last week I I started really looking at next year and who looks strong and who doesn't look strong in the Big Twelve. I thought Baylor was going to drop next year quite a bit. Um, They lose a couple starters on the offensive line. Their defense is decimated, not decimated, but really 
really hurt with some guy like Blake Lynch is a total glue guy. I mean, he was just tremendous for them all year, uh, provided a physical presence and kind of played in the box, could could cover out outside of it. I thought he played well, and you guys guys got like Chris Miller and or not Chris Miller, uh, Jamison Houston's leaving, uh, the other defensive linemen outside of uh, Lynch, Ravion Roy. Roy. Yeah, I, I thought. And then Michael Hasty's gone. Denzel Mims, who's really the one guy that people would worry about from a from a, a, reset, a receiving standpoint for them. Um, they'll still have some pieces, so they're not one in eleven Baylor like they were the first year. Rule was there, so I don't want to you know push that on anybody or, or make them. But I did think they were going to step back, take a step back. They just had too many really experienced, um, good players late in their careers, you know, um, and they came together and played really well and won a lot of, not unlike Texas a year ago, they won a lot of really tight, close games that aren't always going to go your way. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and so I look at that, I think they'll take a step back regardless, whether it was Matt Rule or whoever it may be, Joey McGuire, who's on the staff now, former yeah, it's, Cedar, Cedar Hill I was going to ask you, Joey McGuire is a guy who, you know, successful high school coach rule. I thought was really smart to bring him in, um, among others, uh, among others. others. Right. Yeah. But Joey, because of just his experience, does he have enough experience? Do you think at Baylor where Mac Rhodes might elevate him? Oh yeah. I think, I think if you've met Joey McGuire and talked to him before, you immediately think head coach material at college. He's that kind of guy. In my opinion, I mean, he's not I'm not saying he's, you know, you're not talking to Sean Payton or somebody like that where you think, okay, he's got an IQ of perhaps 150. And you know what I mean? It's not that kind of. But the uh, Willie Nelson would have him on his bus. Yeah, absolutely. And still attention to detail is still there. The um, buy in from his players um, is there. And the enthusiasm is there, you know, um, he, it would be very important for him to get some hires right on both offense and defense. Um, because I don't know, I think he's, he's a good at game management as a head coach. Um, but he has to have, he has to have good offensive and defensive coordinators. He's not necessarily the guy that would call plays on either side. Um, and so you would have to, to mitigate that because I don't think he's necessarily ready for that on the college level. Um, but from a head coaching perspective, is he a guy that you would want representing your university? Uh, I think yes, is, is the answer. I, I think he's a good guy and, and um, would uh, acquit himself well. That being said, what about other players? I mean, or what about other guys? If they could go get P.J. Fleck, should they? I mean, Baylor's playing $6.5 million right now to rule. Right. Uh, right. I don't, to me, you know, Fleck, if they can go get – I think that's I, that's – that's, in the range of being able to get P.J. Fleck. Um, there are other guys out there as well that you could that you could really look at and um, start to tempt with that kind of money. Uh, I think that that's, you know, Bronco Mendenhall didn't make that at Virginia. You know, it, there's there's some guys um, that I, I think might have some interest. Yeah, I mean, they got the best facilities right now in the Big 12. Um, they got their nutrition center. They're they're ahead of the curve. They're also at a private school. Um, 
they've got a, a it's not an athletic dorm, but because they let general population students into it, but it's this amazing yeah, place. Yeah, their issue, they're, they're not as land restricted as someone like Texas. You know, Texas has the land problem when it comes to new facilities. Um, yeah. Places like Baylor are not, um, and, or A&M in that respect. Um, so I, I think that, that you'll see that uh, become a, a issue as you go forward. And the, the idea of constant reinvestment into a program is, is very difficult when, you know, you can't just, you can't just move something every time you want to. So, yeah, Bobby, good stuff, man. Good stuff. We'll have, uh... well, who do you think? I mean, Chip outside of Baylor. I mean, this is, I do want to ask you this. Who do you think are real players next year? In the Big 12, because my two outside of I, I don't think Baylor, I, like I said, I think they take a step back. My two are OU and Oklahoma State. Um, I, I think those are the two that I look at and say, and that's not surprising. I mean, they've been the the biggest pieces thus far in in in, in the Big 12 outside of Texas on a tr- on a traditional basis. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think. You always start with quarterback, and so I I look at um, I agree with you. I think Oklahoma State Spencer Sanders is is a scary dude, and they bring back a lot on defense too. Yeah. Um. You know Iowa State loses some some guys up front, and and they lose some key guys on defense. But Campbell's been he's he's just really good at evaluating talent and, and plugging and playing and Brock Purdy's a guy who, you know, should keep getting better. Texas gets them in Austin. Um Can you don't you think that Joe Osai playing on the line of scrimmage might yeah. might impact that game? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I just, but here here's the one though. I, I mean I'm picking Texas to go to the Big Twelve title game. But but against OU, I assume, right? Yeah. yeah. And until proven otherwise, five straight. Here's the number, and I'm waiting on Creed Humphrey to make a decision because I do think that, I mean, that guy I think is phenomenal, and if he comes out, I think you could that that literally might make some more games winnable that are for opposing teams against OU because he is that he is that dominant at the point of attack at a place where you have to be a position you have to be in that offense. And um, they return, it looks like 37 of 44 on their two deep. Why don't you ponder that for a minute? At OU. Yeah. Yeah. 37 of 44. That's yeah, pretty phenomenal. And two of them are going pro, you know, and Spencer um, Rattler barring, yeah. Transfer portal. Uh, yeah, I, I think Tanner Mordecai's in there. I think Tanner Mordecai's going to give him a role too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Rattler's a guy. But uh, you look at their receiving core; they're loaded. I know they lose CD Lamb, but Jesus, they're loaded. Right. Um, offensive line, they get everybody back unless Creed Humphrey leaves. Um, running backs, you know, they didn't really. You know, unless Ramondre Stevenson gets kicked out of school or something for for his off-field stuff, I mean they're they're all back. 
I just, I mean, I look at them and just, geez, I mean, I, I think that uh, it'll be the second year under Alex Grinch, so there'll be some continuity in the secondary. Um, they should be better, still talented, always have been talented. Um, and, you know, Deshaun White will be back with Nick Benito at linebacker, so even though Kenneth Murray's gone, they've got the two replacements there ready to go. I, oh, you could be a team. Um if they can get to play at quarterback, which you would expect uh, that uh, Lincoln Riley would be able to coax out of them. Right. I, I always joke, Lincoln Riley and Jim Harbaugh have done the same thing in with their quarterbacks. They've been going to the transfer portal to get their quarterbacks. The difference is Lincoln Riley's go from the portal to the Heisman ceremony, and Jim Harbaugh's go from the portal to oblivion. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they go to Ohio State's bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's, Even been, worse. that's been the MO. <laughs> Even worse. To, to, to uh, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan fans' dismay everywhere. I mean, I, that's, uh, that is not, uh, that's not been a good look for, for Jim Harbaugh. And, and, you know, I say that and Ohio State's just dominated them for the last decade, basically. Unbelievable. Yep. Well, Bobby, great stuff, my friend. Let's do it again next week. All right. You take care, Chip. All right. There he is. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Joining us now on the flagship podcast is a member of that 2005 Texas National Championship team, uh, former NFL player and now developer of future NFL talent uh, with his nuclear athletes, uh, Tim Crowder, the one and only Tim Crowder, who still holds the single game record at Texas for most tackles for loss uh, in a single game, although... Joseph Osai was closing in on you, big fella. <laughs> well, if anybody's going to break it, I'd rather for it to be another one of my protégés, so I'm all for it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Tim Crowder um, has worked with Joseph Osai. So this is – this is I, I wanted to get you on the, the flagship podcast, TC, because I think you have such a great perspective about the defense, and you and I have talked over the past year about – Todd Orlando and how he was doing things. And then um, I always came to you to to try to figure out why, oh, why was he playing people like Brecken Hager, who walks around at 225, mm-hmm. and playing him in the four-eye where he's going to get double teamed. I could never figure it out. Um, 
go ahead and explain what you think Todd Orlando was trying to do before we move on to what we saw in the Alamo Bowl. Well, you know, Todd, his biggest thing was he, he wanted, of course, he runs a 3 4 eyed front, which for a lot of people is basically three, three down linemen. You got a big nose guard just lined up over the center. It's called a zero technique. And then you have your, your four eyes, which are the inside shade of the offensive tackle. You know, so Todd's biggest thing was he said, hey, I'm, I don't want the big, big slobber knocker, big heavyweight guys up front. I want the more quick guys that I can move around and we can, we can slant and stunt and do all those things like they did in Houston and I guess the place that he was at. But, you know, that just didn't work at Texas. He didn't, he, one of those things, he just didn't have to do that. You know, it's, you know, I've been around some of the best, you know, defensive coordinators that I've been around, you know, to name one who may get the, the defensive coordinator job for the Cowboys is Mike Nolan. And uh, his biggest thing was is that, hey, you know, we're going to find the best players and we're going to put you guys in a position to win. And it's our job to do that. And uh, I just think that uh, I think Ty kind of got lost in that aspect of things. And you know, he sometimes the coach can get so set on that scheme that they forget that, hey, man, it's the players that make up the scheme. Well, and he he would slant the defensive lineman um, away from where he was bringing a blitz. Is yeah. that right? That's correct. I mean, you know, the wherever the blitz is coming from, the D line has to go away from it. And the thing about when you do the slanting, you're putting your, you're going to lose fifty percent of the time because let's say that they run the ball away from where you're going, <laughs> so you already ran yourself out to play. So a lot of times you would see the offensive linemen, they would just bypass the guys and say, yeah, there's no need to block them. If they're going right and they're going left, right. you know, and they would go up to the safeties and, and linebackers and whoever else. So, you know, it was one of those things where sometimes you just got to just stand pad and just stay in your gaps and just beat the guy in front of you. And Texas has the talent to do it. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the most discouraging thing is you see the guys' frustration up front. I mean, they try to do the best they can and be the best teammates, but you can just see the frustration in those guys. Yeah, because as soon as they turned Malcolm Roach, Taquan Graham, Joseph Osai loose in terms of moving Roach outside the the offensive mm-hmm. tackle, Taquan Graham, same thing, uh, and moved Joseph Osai up uh, to the line of scrimmage as a stand-up end. Those guys made plays. I mean, starting with the the Texas Tech game and then right on into the Alamo Bowl. You know, talk about what you saw in terms of the adjustments that led to all that disruption that we saw against Utah. I think I think it actually occurred before the Texas Tech game. And the reason I say this is because I believe – you know, we used to call it a, it's an OG call where, you know, it's the, it's the basically the older guy makes the call and say, you know what, I'll you, I let you do it your way, but I saw these Baylor Bears, they had a three-down front, and they lead the nation on the Big 12 in sacks. And then you ask yourself, why are those guys doing that? Because those guys are in this better position to pass for us. You know, you saw those guys in loose fives, and they was getting up the field and getting vertical. They wasn't doing too much slant and all that stuff, and then you see it's a copycat league, you know. Then you see Texas do it against Texas Tech, and you know they just went on and just, you know, threw the whole kitchen at, at Utah and said, "This is what we're gonna be." <laughs> so, but uh, again, I'm I'm excited for the future, and I'm just a, 
it gives me an opportunity to work better with the guys. I'm I'm coaching on the outside. I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to get these guys rushing these. He's just basically just not at disadvantageous situations. Well, and talking to Tim Crowder, of course, member of the 2005 national championship team, uh, played in the NFL uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and and worked with in the Denver Broncos, uh, worked with Mike Nolan, as you said, who's probably going to be the the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. But you also worked with Charles Amenahu, who, mm-hmm. you know, again was in that four eye when they when they moved him outside the offensive tackle against Baylor a couple of years ago when Charlie Brewer had three shots at the end zone from the seventeen, Amenahu got pressure and it just was confounding to me that Todd Orlando wouldn't get out of that um, you know, playing his his ends in that four eye technique. But we'll move on because um, now it's Chris Ash coming in. But but just to finish that thought, I mean Charles Amenahu was frustrated too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, he definitely was. I mean, it's no secret right by now. You know, he was very very frustrated, and you know, fortunately he he got some opportunities at the end where he was still able to win the, the defense player of the year. But you know, he was very very frustrated about the situation all year long. Yeah, now he's making plays for the Texans who are moving yeah, along. Yeah, he's, he's being used correctly. You know, he's being used inside, he's being used outside. I mean, and he's only going to flourish because he he's able to, like I said, the scheme fits the the talent fits the scheme. Okay, so Chris Ash is coming in. Chris Ash is known for running a four-three over. Um, when you look at the personnel that Texas has returning, Taquan Graham, Keandre Coburn. Um, you know, Joseph Osai, Moro, Jomo. Is Mar- Bimich returning? Marquez, or this is last year. Marquez Bimich is, is okay. returning. What, what do you see in terms of talent and how it fits that 4-3 over scheme? Well, first of all, if I'm Coach Giles and Coach Ash, you know, it's January when these guys get back to, you know, when school starts back up with the offense, uh, you know, when school starts back up with the offseason program, you know, I'm pretty sure Chris Ash, Oscar Giles, and, you know, Yance McKnight and whoever else involved, they're going to all get together. They're going to say, hey, you know, we got some big guys, but we need some of these guys to get their weight down. So that's going to be number one. A lot of guys, especially inside, they're going to be spending a lot of time dropping weight because there's really no sense of being all that big. I mean, you see Ohio State. It's, it's basically what you're going to see. You know, you, you, we already kind of got our Chase Young, which is going to be Osai. But I think Bimich is going to be an X factor. I really, I really loved his film, and I loved the way he played coming out of high school. I felt like he had some of the best get off and natural lean, and I, I kind of just felt like he gained too much weight due to the scheme, you know, over his time at Texas. But you know, get Bimich down about 250, I mean, he's going to be hell on wheels. And uh, Mauro Jomo, I think he he going to fit this scheme really well as a three technique and. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to have a couple of noses to roll around. Uh, Taquan Graham, he's probably have to drop a little bit of weight too. You know, he's going to be moved inside as a three technique. And these guys are going to be able to get vertical, you know, get up the field. I mean, this is fun. You know, hit it and get it. Ping years back, like, uh, like Coach Josh used to always say, start a ping years back. So these guys are going to enjoy this type of defense. When, when, uh, you say Bimage, you know, once he gets to like 250, because I think he was up around 270. Um, mm-hmm. 
what what do you see for for him I, and how you see him on the left side you see Osai on the right side or flip him you know how do you see those those two I mean if you just notice Bemis when when they made the move to five technique his production went off the roof and you know this time he's going to be able to work out of that position this whole entire offseason so you know just imagine all the handwork all the the pass first reps that he's going to receive, not just doing spring ball. I mean, just over the offseason, you'd be surprised how much these guys really work on their skill, you know, during the offseason. It's not it's not all about lifting weights and running all the time. Everybody does that. That's the norm. It's the, it's the skill part that will separate guys. And, you know, it's amazing what those guys are going to be doing and working on their hands and, you know, getting low and sinking hips and all this other stuff. So I, I can only imagine, you know, how he's going to look by the time spring ball gets here. When you, when you look at Bimage and then we'll get to Osai, um, you know, do you see Bimage as a, as a speed to power guy? You see him as a guy who can, you know, rip and jerk. I mean, what do you see mm-hmm. in terms of technique? Well, he's, he's going to be the guy, like I said, first off, he needs to get his weight down. He needs to get down. To, if I was him, I would put my goal at about, cause I lost weight for my senior year at Texas. My junior year, I was about 275 and I just felt sloppy. And I had one of my worst as far as, you know, as far as uh, production years. I mean, I made all Big 12, but I just felt like I just wasn't productive. And, you know, I got down about 260, 258 for my senior year, and I had over 10 sacks. You know, I got up to 10 sacks. So that's, that was really, really big for me. Was, and uh, Brian Robinson, he did the same thing. He got he was about 275 in the, in the last championship game. He got down about 258, 260. And uh, that was one of our things, and nobody told us to do that. You know, we did that ourselves because we just felt like we could play play better, we could play quicker, we could increase our conditioning level. And I said, once Joseph, uh, sorry, not Joseph, once Bemis does that, you know, I think the sky's the limit because he's going to feel so much lighter and he's going to be even quicker. He's already quicker at 270, and he's going to be that speed guy that can that can basically use his speed to set up his power and, and counter moves. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what he's going to be. He's going to be that speed guy, a different rip off the edge because he's going to have a great first step. Then he's going to basically set up everything uh, off that speed, his power, you know, running down the middle of guys, uh, long arm stab, bull rushing guys, and, you know, counting inside because they're going to have to respect the speed. Talking to Tim Crowder, of course, member of that 2005 Texas National Championship team, played in the NFL here on the flagship podcast. As far as Joseph Osai, it drove me crazy watching him run all over the field and chasing slot receivers 20, 30 yards downfield, even though Taquan Graham said, I don't think he ever gets tired. You, they, they put him near the line of scrimmage, you know, nine tackles, six tackles for loss, three sacks against Utah. Um, how do you see them using Joseph Osai? Uh, just like they did against Utah as a stand-up end, what, what do you think? I think if it was me, I would use him very similar to that because you get the, the whole benefits of him. Because, I mean, keep in mind, he had over what? How many interceptions did he have this season? About three or four? Right, right. So that's, that's great production. So you'll be, you will be a fool to say, ah, we're just going to stop dropping you sometimes, Joseph. I mean, that guy's producing in the back end too. But you just have to have to pick and choose. It's just a known transfersion situation. I mean, which would, would you drop Chase Young in coverage? I wouldn't right. do that. I'm saying, hey, go get to the quarterback, man. So, you know, it's one of those situations. I mean, Joseph, 
he he knows it. I've told him before and everybody else. I mean, Joseph has potential to be a first-round pick. We're not talking about no day, day three or anything. I mean, the guy has the potential to be a first-round pick. You kind of saw that potential in that bowl game. You know, so you just got to put him in a situation. Just say, all right, man, we're about, we about to cut the chain. You're a dog. Go eat. <laughs> well, and, I mean, talk about his length. You know, he's got long arms. He's he's almost 6'4". Talk about how that length helps him. It's unreal. I mean, he has some of the longest. Besides Charles Aminihu, he he's probably second when it comes to those long arms. And my biggest thing with him is to continue to develop and, and use what God gave him. You know, once you master that long arm stab and setting, setting up counter moves off that long arm stab, I mean, he's going to be – I mean, I'm telling you, I would not – I would not be shocked if he have a chase down type of year. I would not be shocked if he can just stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, he's a sophomore now. Um, he could have a big year as a junior and have a decision to make. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, he'd definitely be one of those decision-maker guys after year three. When you talking to Tim Crowder, and when you look at the linebacker um, situation at Texas, you know, Delia Dayaway finally got some experience this year. Uh, Juwan Mitchell came in as a as a JUCO transfer. There are some young guys that were coming, but then they got hurt. Marcus Tillman, uh, David Benda was suspended, but they were redshirting him anyway uh, for the bowl game. When you look at the linebacker situation, uh, what do you what do you think, uh, and what what do you see in there in terms of development? Well, first off, they kind of fell a victim of the the scheme as well. You know, so I can't I can't blame it all of those guys because a lot of stuff is just it just seemed like they didn't know what was going on. You know, because <laughs> you have guys running and running around and doing all this, and really no one has a gap. So it's just like, all right, I don't I don't know what to do. And you have guys up on them all the time. You know, but also in saying that, Chip, I don't ever remember a game where I said, wow, I mean that linebacker has taken over this game. Right. You know, normally you would hear that at some point over the course of the season. So if I'm Chris Harris, I'm coming in. I'm coming into the linebacker room. I'm saying, hey, guys, uh, guess what? Nobody has a starting spot. It's up to you who who going to start over the course of this year because this past season we just didn't have nobody productive enough, which is true. And some of those guys who thought they were starting, they'll probably be pissed off, but there's going to be a lot of other guys that are going to be, you know, grinning inside because they finally get an opportunity. You know, and don't don't discredit the the guy that's a former walk on. I mean, he did really really well in this bowl game. I really like the way he played. Court Jackson. I just hope they I just hope they, I just hope they give him a chance. That's a big thing. Yeah, number fifty seven, uh, Court yeah. uh, Jaquis, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. He's only a sophomore. Um, and what did you like about him? Because I agree, he was taking on you know he was taking on people, um, and and getting there with a bad attitude. Well, you gotta, it's like only the, only the players understand something like this. I mean, this is really the kid's first time really just getting in the game. Now, he probably has been on special teams or something like that, but it's different when you play actual defense. And for this guy to come in, hasn't really played a down all season, and then come into the ball game, it looks like he's been there. He's been a starter all year. I look at it, that's a football player. That's a, that's a great fit for the game. And he getting guys lined up. You know, I talked to another one of the former walk-ons. He's not there anymore. And I asked him about him. And he's like, man, close to guys, a football player. He's a train wreck. 
and he's very, very intelligent. That's the main thing he kept hopping on, talking about how, how football smart he was. That's the guy you want on, on the field on your defense. When he talks about train wreck, he'll just come in and smash people. No, he don't care. He's one of those, you know, I hate to say I want to offend nobody. He's one of those crazy white guys. That, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that every every football player knows it. You know, they got that crazy white guy that he will literally say, hey, I will run through this brick, brick wall to get to you. I'm not going to do it, but he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you got to have one or two of those guys, right? You do. You know, you, you got to have one. I mean, he's one of those crazy white guys. Yeah. And that's You need it, you know. J.J. White is another one of those guys. Yeah. That's <laughs> Brian funny. Christian, he was another one as well. <laughs> yeah. Mike Rosenthal, who played at Notre Dame and, and on the offensive line in the NFL, he's like, hey, you need some guys on defense with some screws loose, you know? Yeah, you do. You do, definitely. Okay, so – in the back end of, of the defense, talking to Tim Crowder, and Tim, you know, cornerback was a, a position that lacked experience. Now you've got Deshaun Jameson with experience, Anthony Cook, Jalen Green, uh, Kobe Boyce got some experience, Kenyatta Watson looks like he can play, Chris Adamora looks like he can play either safety or nickel or corner. Um what did you see in the back end? And then, of course, you had, you know, B.J. Foster and Chris Brown and and DeMarvin Overshawn. What who stood out to you uh, in the back end of the defense? I mean, the you said the Chris. How do you pronounce his last name? Ad Adorama. Oh, Chris Adamora, number eleven. Yeah, he, yeah, definitely. He he was one of those guys that jumped off the screen to me uh, in that ball game. I'm not sure how much he's played all season, but. He definitely jumped off the screen. Uh, Jalen Green, I mean, that guy's going to be a lockdown corner uh, next year if he can stay healthy. I really like the way Jamison plays. He's, Jamison, he's the type of guy that he is a he's a gambler. It's going to get him in trouble. But he he's, he's, he's reminds me a little bit of Aaron Ross. You know, Aaron Ross, he yeah. would give up a big play sometime. But you look up, Aaron Ross has an interception. And Aaron Ross is winning the Thorpe Award because of his production. You know, so – uh, they need that. They need that Terrell Brown. You know that that guy is just a complete lockdown corner. You never hear about the guy that's, that he's going catching the ball, but you never hear about him making the plays either. <laughs> you right. know, because and, and, and Terrell will admit it. He's like, man, I should have been more about the ball. But I told him, I said, well, Terrell, that's why you played longer than just about all of us. <laughs> so coaches trusted but, you. Uh, Exactly. You know, the guy played nine, ten years. Right. So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just amazing how you can, you know, see the maturation with those guys and how comfortable they are. And I just I just can't wait till when the coach said, "Hey, man, we got two high safety look, or we got four high safety look, or we got man and off man or press and go do it." And then those guys get confident and just and the more reps that they uh that they get. When you look at the personnel coming back. Obviously, they lose Roach. Um, you know, they lose Brandon Jones, and those are those are guys who really come through for for Texas. But you know, when you look at all the other guys coming back, I mean this this is a defense that should be a, a championship caliber defense, right? Definitely, I, I definitely agree. I agree. Um, you know, Brandon Jones, I think he had one of the most underrated best years of a Texas DB in the last 10 years. I mean, the guy was all over the field, just a sure tackler. 
think he's going to do really, really well in the, in the senior bowl. He's going to be able to, they're going to be able to see him cover. They're going to see how really fast and explosive he is. So I think he's going to be one of those Jordan Hicks kind of guys where he pop up and he's going to third round or something like that, you know. But, uh, but I mean, you're right. They, it, it, they have the ingredients to be a, a championship defense. And the thing about it, you just got to let your horses go forward. You know, don't, don't tell them. Don't tell your defensive linemen to go backwards and don't tell your DBs to come forward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, let those guys do what they're supposed to do. So, um, Tom Herman changes out both coordinators and you got Mike Yersich coming in, who was the play caller at Oklahoma State from 2013 to 2018, a span when Oklahoma State went five and one against Texas. And Chris, Chris Ash as the defensive coordinator. Um, your, your thoughts on A, Herman changing out both coordinators and B, the decisions that he made. You know, anytime you have to, you know, tell you, cause a lot of times what most people don't realize, but you know, when they hire these coaches, a lot of times these guys are friends that you have to become friends. You know, to have a good working relationship, and this is one of the toughest things to do is to fire on your friend. But at the end of the day, you have to think about the program. You know, nobody is bigger than the program. And that's one thing we learned from Mac Brown. You know, no matter who you are, nobody's bigger than the program, including him. <laughs> you know, so, you know, when you do that, you have to go out and look for the, you know, A, I got to look for guys that fit my, per- fit my personality. But she's worked with him in the past, so he's, you know, no of them. I'm pretty sure on a recruiting trail or, or something like that. And second of all, you know, were there schemes? Are these guys schemers? You know, what I mean by that, you know, I had a guy last time, he was a scheme guy. He really wasn't necessarily schemers. Now I'm looking for guys. I'm pretty sure Hammer's like, hey, man, were you bidding this scheme to set my personnel? I'm pretty sure that was one of the first questions he asked. Yeah. How were you? How were you? You know, this is our personnel. How were you been not been your scheme to fit us? You know, Sam is not your traditional quarterback. He can run the ball, but he can also do other things. We got these type of receivers. We have these type of running backs. How can you bend your scheme? You know, who are the playmakers? So I'm pretty sure those are all things that go into that. So, you know, I trust him. I trust in Tom. I think he'll get the job done. And like I said, we just got to see. You know, everything come to pass and time will, time will tell. We're coming into the 15th anniversary of the 2005 national championship team. Does it seem like 15 years ago or does it seem yeah. like yesterday? Still, my body tell me it was 15 years ago, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but my mind is like, wow, that was just yesterday. Yeah, you know, I I played basketball a couple, of, you know, last week or two, and I try. I thought I was going to go up and dunk, you know, like I used to do and things of that nature. Then, you know, that my body says, "Hey man, what are you doing? You can't do that anymore," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I almost got hung, and I'm 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 glad I, you know, my wisdom my wisdom uh, crept in and said, "Hey man, just lay it up," you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to show out of here, and I'm glad I did that because I would have got hung. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I've seen you, TC. You still look like you could play. How... Yeah, actually, it looks so deceiving, man. I, I try to look the part, but man, when it comes to actually getting out there and bending that corner and 
taking on blocks and shitting blocks and all that. You know, those days are long gone for me, brother. I, I try to, I use, I, I play through my, through my guys I train. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you're doing a great yeah. job with Joseph Osai. I'll tell you that. Um, and, um, who's, who's gonna, who's gonna get to the Super Bowl? All right. So I haven't been paying too much attention to it. I, I usually pay attention to it after when they, when they get out of this division. But you know who the dark horse is? And the AFC, this is my dark horse, the Tennessee Titans. And, and this is why. They got a hellacious defense. Yeah. They're physical. And they can run that they football. Run. And they often, they, they have the best offensive line in the National Football League. So the Pat Mahomes and the, the, the Ravens, if Tennessee is going to be an ugly win, but they're, they're, it's not going to be a high-scoring game, but they're going to squeak it out because you got to have a great offensive line and defensive line and the defense to win the game. And that's what they have, and that's what they did to Tom, you know, and the Patriots. Yep. I mean, they, they absolutely stymied those guys, and they just abused them. Shut them out. I mean, they, they just abused. They, they, are, <clears throat> they had guys that just didn't want to hit no more. Safety's coming down here, just passing, you know, waiting, waiting to get ran over, as I like to say. <laughs> I was like, man, you might as well just throw your head in there because you're going to get ran over anyway. Oh. But uh, at least you can slow them down. So, I mean, we had guys that were just literally just making business decisions. Like, you know what? Uh, I don't want to get hurt right now. I want to be relaxing during this off season. I don't want to be coming back up for rehab because I don't have my shoulders broke off. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And uh, and who's who's let's see, AFC, uh, NFC. Let's see who's you got. Uh, you got Minnesota at San Francisco and Seattle uh, taking out Green okay, Bay. Okay, I got okay, I got my pick there. All right, so so the NFC. All right, this is not no secret, and it's the same thing I talked about. They got a great offensive line. The de- defensive line is probably the best in the NFL, and they have a great defense. And that's the Forty Niners. Okay. Um, so those are my two picks. You know, hopefully I make it right, but hey, you know, I don't know. We'll see. They still got that's the thing about it. They gotta play. But oh, yeah. if I was a betting man, that's who I'm going with. Well, T C you're the best. Always love talking football with you. And I'm sure our listeners here on the uh flagship podcast appreciate your insights and and breaking down what Texas has defensively and how It'll all fit together with, with Chris, definitely, definitely. Chris Ash. Really appreciate it, man. Happy New Year. Um, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. And that's one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to study, uh, Chris Ash's, uh, defense so I can see. And I'm going to study Ohio State so I can see what all they do. And that's what coaches do in the offseason. They, they break Sam down to where the guy was before. So I like to do that because it gives me a chance to coach the guy better on that side. Right. And let them know what they're in for. Yeah, exactly. Tim Crowder, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year, TC. All right, same to you, Chip. All right, thanks for joining us here on the Flagship Podcast. Great stuff there with uh, Tim Crowder and, as always, with Bobby Burton, the godfather of uh, the team site recruiting industry. Um, You know, Chip, something that we haven't touched on yet, and it's kind of big news, is two of the upperclassmen of at Texas have made their decision to return to Texas for the 2020 season. That is quarterback Sam Ellinger and left tackle Sam Cosme, who's a redshirt sophomore, but, you know, been on campus for three years. So 
Um, I apologize that we haven't <laughs> brought that up, but you know, I'm curious. There was there was kind of a weird situation that went down at the Alamo Bowl as it pertained to Sam Ellinger's decision and what he was going to do for his NFL future, right? Yeah, it 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 was. So we got uh, the offense in a press conference um, the day before the final press conference with the head coaches Tom Herman and Kyle Whittingham, and and so I asked Sam if he had put in for the advisory committee and he said he had, and then he was asked, so are you definitely coming back? And then, or, and then the person said, or are you going to wait and see what the advisory committee says? And Sam said, I'm going to wait and see what the advisory committee says. And so that sort of ignited its own little firestorm that, he wouldn't just come right out and say definitively he was coming back and people were like, Oh wait, what? And then the very next day, Tom Herman is asked about Ellinger and if he thinks that Ellinger will be back and Herman said, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) He'll be back. And, and said that he'd already gotten the advisory committee recommendation and, and so people were like, oh, wait, oh, okay, really? Cause Sam said he was waiting to hear back and Herman was like, oh yeah, he's already gotten it. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of weird, kind of awkward, but, um, either way, well, let, no, let me, let me, let me ask you, what did you make of that? Was that, do you think, what do you think is running through Ellinger's head? And what was running through Herman's head there? Because Herman knew what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, like, one thing that we have learned in covering Tom Herman for the last three years is he is very methodical about every single thing that he says or does. And that was why, you know, when he got that question two years ago at Big 12 Media Days about how much, you know, type of NFL caliber talent is on the team. He took him a few seconds and he goes, some, you know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't stumble into a situation by saying the wrong thing. So he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, I think if I were Sam, I'd probably be like, dude, like (laughs) I didn't say it for a reason. Why the hell are you saying, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think that, and I think that they have a little bit of the relationship where Sam probably could have said that to him. I don't know if he did or not, but you know, I thought that was, it was weird. I mean, it was almost like Tom in his, and this is just totally my like, you know, speculation of the situation, but I kind of viewed it as in Tom's head. He heard Ellinger say that and is thinking like, by God, there's already enough drama surrounding this program right now with as not having a, you know, like had just finished the coaching search and stuff. And now the quarterback, they just hired, you know, the offensive coordinator. And then the quarterback comes out and says, he's not sure what he's going to do. I mean, I think I think it was probably a little bit of Tom trying to like, you know, hold the dumpster fire within the dumpster instead of it blowing out of it. But I mean, I I think if I were Sam, I'd be like, come on, man, you know, <laughs> like give me my moment at least. Right, right. Whatever that was, whatever Ellinger was going for, Herman wasn't gonna let him have it. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and he did. I, he put out his video. It was kind of cool. Right, video, right. So. Right. He got his moment. But a lot of people now are like, what? (laughs) You were going to (laughs) leave? Right. 
in that video, for those who haven't seen it, go go to Sam Ellinger's Twitter. Or you can go to uh, Horns 24-7. It's on the front page of it. So. Horns, exactly, Horns 24-7. That's our managing editor, Taylor Estes, right there, who <laughs> yeah. can tell you where all the uh, all the goods are. Um, but so didn't you think as that video was playing out, he was going to say, I'm back. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people wanted him to say. Tom would have put the, you know, he would have stopped that real quick. Because even after, even after the Alamo Bowl, you know, they're talking. I forget exactly the question. Yeah, that, he was asked, what does this win mean for the program and where it's headed? Yeah. He's like, I mean, I'm not going to say it. And then yeah. Tom goes, smart move. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it would have been really classic if it was, I'm there. <laughs> well, and just a shameless plug, if if you've been reading at Horns 24-7 for weeks yeah. in the eyes of Texas, we've been telling you that Cosme and Ellinger were coming back. So, right. um, you know, yeah, always you, keeping you, you one step ahead. Exactly. You've been reporting that all along. And, you know, um, it's a good way to end a positive note, I think, for – the season winning with Alamable and then getting both of those guys back. I mean, man, Texas ever since Tom got Tom Herman, you know, was hired has not been able to hold on to the upperclassmen that still have remaining eligibility left. So, you know, I think this is a win overall for Texas, even though we didn't think that was going to happen. But then again, last year, I think it was a little bit of a surprise that little Jordan Humphrey left early too, you know, so you never kind of know where these things are going. These guys, even though, you know, the last, you know, two, I guess two years, um, a number of guys have gone against what the college advisory committee has graded them. Um, You know, they get these trainers in their ears. They get all these people talking them up saying, no, 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 they don't know what they're talking about. Well, these people are paid to grade you. That is their job. So maybe listen to their advice. And I think that Sam Ellinger and Sam Cosme did the right thing this time. Yeah, no question. All right, everybody. Great stuff. Great stuff with Taylor, as always, with uh, with Bobby Burton, with Tim Crowder. Thanks to Tim Crowder for joining us on the flagship podcast this week. And make sure you get to the eyes of Texas because there is some information I can't talk about yet that I think I will be able to talk about in the eyes of Texas regarding um, a possible hire. Uh, among the position coaches that I think is very interesting. So get to the eyes of Texas this week. And if you're not a, a member, then come on. What are you waiting for? This, this is exciting times here. We're, we got new coaches coming in. Matt Rule's leaving the Big 12. Texas probably going to be a favorite, if not the favorite, in the Big 12 next year. In tw- or this year now, 2020? Come on. Kidding me? Um Taylor, you're the best, and uh, and we'll do it again next week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Flagship Podcast. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.